0: Welcome to startup happy hour sponsored by content allies, grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Startup Happy Hour. I'm Diana Chen, your host. And today we're going to do things a little bit differently. I don't have a guest with me today, but what I want to do today in the spirit of Thanksgiving being this week is I just want to go through some of our past episodes. Um, I can't believe this is already episode 25, but we've had so many great discussions. And one thing that I want to highlight in this episode is something that I'm really grateful for having gone through these last 24 episodes. And that is the diversity that we've been able to highlight through our guests and through our conversations. And what I want to do today is I have pulled out five episodes Uh, that we've gone through in the past where we've had really good discussions about diversity and startups. Uh, I think this is, you know, it's become a really hot topic with the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement over uh, the course of this year, as well as diversity and inclusion and equity just being a bigger part of every company's discussion. Not only are consumers demanding you know, more visibility in this front from companies, but even investors are concerned about diversity and inclusion uh, in companies that they invest in. So all around the board, this is becoming a bigger and bigger topic. And so today I've pulled out five of my favorite episodes surrounding these conversations. And uh, without further ado, let's just go ahead and get started. The first episode I want to reintroduce to you all is episode two with Bryant Vergara. Bryant is the CTO of Dexter, which is a private school in Wichita Falls, uh, Texas, but they also have an online stream school as well, and the school is focused on Stream, which is an extension of STEM um, that includes science, technology, reading and writing, engineering, art, and mathematics. Their school is so incredibly inspiring. Um, I follow them on Instagram. That's my favorite platform to kind of keep up with what they're doing. And if you go to their Instagram, they post all of these projects that their students have done. And these are elementary school age students who have, you know, created these uh, online video games and designed all sorts of creative artwork and things like that. You should definitely check it out. Uh, But Bryant is um, originally from Vancouver, Canada. He came to the U.S. for school and is now living in Wichita Falls, Texas, where the school is located. Uh, But Bryant talks in this episode about what he thinks is a minority in the tech and startup space, which might be different from uh, how minorities are classified generally. And then he also talks a little bit more about the immigrant mentality and how he thinks being raised as an immigrant in the States had a big impact on his success as an entrepreneur. Uh, So without further ado, go ahead and listen in on this clip from episode two with Bryant Vergara. And don't forget also to connect with Bryant on LinkedIn at Bryant-Vergara, that's B-R-Y-A-N-T-Vergara v-e-r-g-a-r-a and make sure you also check out dexter at uh, dexter.school if you want to check out the physical school down in texas or you can go to dexter.live to catch the online live streams
1: i think like for me i can't really speak much like the difficulties of like star culture as an asian man because like Really, like, if we're being 100% honest, Asian men are not the minority group in startup culture. Asian women, however, that's a different story. I'm a big, big proponent of, like, women in tech and, like, women in STEM and, like, getting our girls to believe in, like, you know, you don't have to fall into this, like, uh, boys club mentality of what startups and, you know, engineering or success looks like. In terms of, like, the immigrant and minority at large, I think, like the best thing to do is just embrace embrace the scrappiness that we kind of all grew up, you know, living in. You know, we, I, I think it's pretty like a running joke in Asian culture that, and not just Asian culture, but I think like immigrant culture in general is just like our parents don't really show the same like kind of love and affection as like, you know, like as our white friends, right? Like that's just kind of the reality that we grew up in. But, you know, that there is like, and and I'm sure, and I'm speaking for myself, that like you develop like an edge inside of you that you can either kind of like wish was different or you can just like totally lean into and um, let it take you as far as you want it to take you. I think particularly in startups, like you need to have an edge to you in order to like make it in this life. Like I said before, this is not, if you're looking for, you know, your nine to five uh, you got to wake up and like have brunch and go to soul cycle afterwards or whatever, uh, startup life is not really that kind of lifestyle, but if you're looking to like, I don't know, if you have like a chip on your shoulder and you kind of want to prove to the world that like, you know, uh, I can make something that will have like lasting impact. Like that is, this is like that life, you know, like you, you lean into you kind of like an immigrant mentality, right? Like you don't know how it's going to work. you like, but you are determined to make it happen.
0: As we all know, a very underrepresented group in startups and tech, are women. And so now I want to revisit episode 16 with Cynthia Delaria. She is the CEO and founder at Rika Technologies. And she comes from the tech background uh, um, and now does a lot of work with women in tech, whether they are women entrepreneurs or women who work in big tech organizations. She does a lot of work with them to help them excel um, in a very male-dominated space. And so one of her biggest pieces of, of advice for women is to stay true to yourself while you know trying to compete in a in a male-dominated space. And I'll just let you listen to her talk more about that. But don't forget also after listening to this to revisit episode 16 for the whole episode and connect with Cynthia on LinkedIn at Cynthia Del Aria. That's uh, Del Aria is D-E-L-A-R-I-A. And make sure you check out her company as well, rikatech.com. And that's R-A-I-K-A-T-E-C-H.com. If you are trying to start your own business or if you have a startup idea you want to run, run by an expert... Or if you just need, if you're a woman and you need some coaching and consulting in, um, you know, in how to excel in a male dominated workspace. Talk to me more about that too. Like, what does it look like to be a woman in an extremely male dominated industry and not feel like you have to conform or not feel like you have to? Change any part of yourself to fit in and to excel in that, and like not to turn into um, what? What is yeah? We're like (laughs) I was trying to think of uh, that like pharma company that was a total scam and the female CEO Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, Elizabeth Holmes, and and, like people said that she would change her voice; she would speak in a lower voice in business meetings to fit in more with all the you know the other CEO the other you know, C-level executives that were all men, Yeah, stuff like that. Like, how do you not change yourself? Like, how do you maintain who you are and have the confidence to still stand up for yourself in this male dominated world?
2: Yeah. It all starts with actually knowing who you are. Um, and that, and, and, you know, some of the exercises that we do are around like setting goals that are actually in alignment with what you want in your life you know because a lot of women they're like oh I want to be a CTO but they 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 don't actually want that because they they want that it's because they want something associated with what they think a CTO is supposed to be or do and it's not until we dig in and tease all that apart to get to what is it you really want how do we quantify that thing or qualify that thing and why is that in alignment with who you are All of a sudden the world opens up and they're no longer struggling for something they don't really want. And the path when when you're in alignment with who you actually are and what's authentically you, the world opens up. I mean, it just does. And so often it's beating your head against the thing that you think you want or that you're supposed to want but isn't actually in alignment with your goals and where you really want to be in life. And that's really the source of the problem. So for me, I got to, I I mean, obviously I got to CEO of my own company as a teenager, right? Because I started that company, but I was CTO of a medium sized business, you know, overseeing, you know, 50 or 60 developers forget, you know, product people and all that kind of stuff before I was 30. And Oftentimes in development roles, you know, I was paid at least as much as my male counterparts, if not more, because I was in alignment with the things that I love to do and my purpose in the world. Right. And so that's the thing. If you're trying to be something because you feel like it's what you're supposed to be, that's much more difficult to be successful than if you get in alignment with who you are authentically and go after that thing. Because you'll find you, you get what you want. You know, I've seen so many women who are like, like I like wearing skirts to work. I like being a girl. I like feeling feminine, but I really wanna be a CTO for this reason and this reason and this reason. And that's like the thing that I wanna be and it's all valid. I'm like, great, what is in an alignment then? And part, one of the things that I find a lot of the time is they're like, I feel like I have to modify myself to be more masculine in meetings. And I'm like, okay, let's stop doing that and see what happens. There they go off on their trajectory. And it takes practice, right? Because they've built these muscles and these habits around how to cope in that world. And I'm like, girl be you. And we have to undo a lot of those habits and we do role playing and, and I'll get phone calls like right up, you know, they're like, I just got out of a meeting and this is what I did. And I'm, I, I just need you to like, talk me down off the ledge about how it went or whatever. And, and, and I ask the same questions every time. Were you, you, did you say the thing there was for you to say, did you give yourself that 10 second pause to get curious about why you wanted to say it before you said it? And, it, and the more they work with me and the more they work in the group and the more they surround themselves with people who are looking for their authentic expression inside of this thing they love, the more natural it becomes and their trajectory just explodes.
0: I think that's such good advice from Cynthia. And of course, it's easier said than done. Stay true to yourself. That's you know, a lot easier said than done. But I think one person who has really done it well is Lisa Han. I interviewed Lisa in episode six of Startup Happy Hour. Lisa is an investor and advisor at a number of different companies, including Ramp. And now she also leads strategic partnerships at Instabase. And uh, one thing that Lisa has, I love her story because she has just had such a positive experience as a minority woman in a male dominated tech space. And so here's episode, here's a short clip from episode 6 you can listen to Lisa talk all about her positive experiences and what it really takes for an organization to give their employees of all backgrounds a positive experience. Oh, and don't forget to check out Lisa Han on LinkedIn, connect with her there at Lisa Beth Hahn. Hahn Han. Han is H A N. And make sure you check out her companies Instabase and Ramp as well at instabase.com and tryramp.com.
3: I think I was fortunate to join companies where founders were really, you know, conscious about uh, diversity. And so you know, I think when I think about my friends who are also some of my friends who are also in startups, i hear a gamut of things. Um and you know, looking back on my time at Atrium and Ramp and now at Instabase, I really do think that in order to like achieve diversity and, you know, be part of a culture that feels welcoming for minorities and um, underrepresented folks, it, it really is set from the top down, meaning the founder is the one that sets the culture and sets that acceptance. And my experience with you know the leaders at these companies have been great, uh, and I think especially relevant to now with you know what is going on with Black Lives Matter, I am really really you know happy and excited to see how our CEO is responding to it, um, taking a strong stance on it, and also giving time for folks to one, you know, educate themselves on these issues to take time off to volunteer. And also three, you know, work as a team internally to think about initiatives to, to support, support all different types of people. And so I, I feel really lucky to say that I've worked with folks who are very, very sensitive to diversity inclusion and, an ex- uh, you know, an example that really sticks with me is back in the day at h we were interviewing for an executive position and there were a couple folks that came in and i remember there you know after all the interviews we had a debrief meeting and in the debrief meeting uh, we were going over feedback and i remember justin at one point calling out someone's feedback and was like hey do you feel that way because she like this person's a woman or do you feel that way regardless of gender? Um, and I think he was like extra cautious and uh, attuned to calling out hopefully like unconscious bias um, towards females, towards uh, minorities. And I, I really did appreciate that.
0: The next episode I want to revisit is one of the most impactful and raw and honest conversations I've had with a guest and that is Nash Ahmed. I had him on as a guest in episode 17. Make sure you go up, go back and listen to that whole episode. I'd highly recommend it. But, uh, Nash talks a lot about raising capital in the startup space as a black person and the challenges that he's faced in that space, uh, by, you know, mere fact of being a black person. And, uh, he ends with some positive advice. So I I definitely want you to listen to this clip from episode 17 and make sure you go back and re-listen to the episode as well. Make sure you connect with Nash on LinkedIn at Nash Theory and make sure you check out his company as well on doc.com. They just had a big launch for a new product line. So make sure you go and check them out as well.
4: Yeah. So this is a a topic that I'm still wrestling with uh, for a couple of reasons and I'll I'll get to it in a second, but my first, first foray into the the venture space, someone reached out to me, an investor reached out to me, and says, "Oh, this product looks really cool." Uh, Love to chat, and I told him, "Like, oh, I have this in my revenue, blah blah, I got this team, this is what we're building," and then we met, and he's like, "Wow, okay, that's pretty well put together. Uh, you shouldn't have any trouble raising money, except for the fact that you're black." He just said it to me. I'm like, oh, okay. So, wow,
0: wow. You know,
4: I I know that it's always harder just in general, but at that point, I looked up the numbers. So I didn't know what the numbers were. I looked at numbers like, oh wow, this is a this is abysmal. I am going to have a challenge, and I appreciate him. You know, going out on a limb and just literally spelling it out for me. Um, he caveatted it saying, well, you know, you do have you know, a ton of things going for you with the business otherwise. So, you know, you should be able to raise uh, capital, but even said that, I don't know that you'll be able to get it from my firm, but I'll help you in one way or another. So uh, that was literally my first investment meeting went like, actually, no, that's not true. My first investment meeting was with Jason Calacanis. That was my second uh, investment uh, meeting. So I've always had it in my head that it's just going to be harder. So the second person you meet tells you that straight out, and then you look at the numbers and you say, "Raising capital for anyone is hard." It's like some like three percent of companies that attempt to raise capital end up raising capital, so it's already hard. Then to be in the one percent of that three percent makes it feel impossible. Uh, so I'm probably gonna end up writing a, a blog uh, post at some point. I was asked to do it earlier, but I generally don't like talking about. Uh, myself, uh, which is why I said I'm a little bit uh, conflicted on it. Uh, I'm still working on being more uh, public. Um, but uh, I was told either by friends or others in the industry that you're not going to be able to raise and you know, for various reasons, or you're not going to be able to raise at this valuation, or it's going to take you this amount of time to do it just because of this and just because of that. And generally, my experience was I met over 120 investors in six weeks time period, and a lot of them said yes. So I attribute that to the product being pretty good. The timing of the product being probably you couldn't ask for a better time to be releasing uh, this type of product. So that's definitely a contributing factor to it. So I feel like I had as much of a disadvantage I have as an underrepresented founder, I had a couple other things propping me up, uh, to make the process easier, but I have friends. I know that I've struggled, uh, I was talking to someone that closed around the same time as me, but they started it 10 months earlier and they had more traction than I did different market, different segment. Uh, and they ended up raising a little bit more money, but it was hard. It was a long, hard process. I honestly did not go through that process. And the funny is not the word. The ironic thing is, uh, I have an an advisor and I was speaking to her, um, about, uh, speaking out about the the troubles that underrepresented founders have, uh, particularly black founders in tech have uh, around the George Floyd uh, murder and then the subsequent protests. And I said, you know, my biggest issue is uh, number one, let me put it aside. The biggest issue is that a black man was murdered for really no reason and everybody should be up in arms about it and speaking out uh, about it and my internal conflict was i've had a ton of run-ins uh, i've dealt with a ton of racism but i've overcome it so it's like let me not say i've overcome i've been able to proceed despite uh dealing with racism in various uh channels so I always feel like my story is a triumphant one, even though I'm nowhere near where uh, I hope to end up. I always feel like it's a triumphant one. So it's one that I should get comfortable talking about and telling people about in order to inspire others to let them know that it can be done despite everything that you will face, because you will face it. So I've even faced it it's not like I'm saying I'm immune to it or haven't dealt with it. I've dealt with it, I've faced it and I just continue, continue, continue to try to persevere. So the thing that I was wrestling with was I still don't ever really want to talk about my story but I'm working uh, on being more public about me as a person. I mean, I say don't ever quit but you know, the, don't look at the numbers as a reason to not do it. So if you're like, you know, Say, oh, well, it's only it's less than I'm a, I'm a, a black woman is a less than one percent of venture capital is going to me. What are the odds that I'm going to get it? If you have that mentality, then you're, it's going to be even harder for you fundraising. So just be be positive about it and assume that you are going to raise that capital.
0: And the last clip I want to revisit today is from episode 10 with Meggie Abenshine. Meggie is uh, the founder of Moxie Mouth. She does a lot of work in the social justice arena, a lot of consulting with social justice companies, nonprofits, and a big part of the work that she's done recently has revolved around the Black Lives Matter resurgence. And she talks a lot about how you can as a not a minority or not a person of color, how you can really begin to learn and begin to be more inclusive and to be more attentive to uh, diversity and inclusion in startups. And so here is Meggie. Don't forget to check her out at MoxieMouthStrategies.com. That's M-O-X-I-E, Moxie moxiemouthstrategies.com and check out her Instagram as well at itsmoxiemouth. And you can connect with Meggie on LinkedIn at Megan Abenshine. That is M-E-A-G-A-N-A-B-E-N-D-S-C-H-E-I-N. Here's Meggie. So what is, I guess, the first step for people who are trying to become more well-versed in uh, diversity and all of these things? To educate themselves and in the right way, like what are some resources mm-hmm. that are good for them to look at or what are some things that they can be doing that would be productive?
5: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. I've been having these conversations with a lot of like a lot of white people in my inner circle. Um, I come from a very conservative um, background and kind of the oddball out and I've been having these conversations how to even get started and the first the very first thing we have to do is recognize. And listen. I mean, listening is the first thing we have to do and without defense, with our defenses down. And how, what I recommend listening, and I am, I want to disclaim that everything I'm saying is already been said by millions of black people and black thought leaders and people of color who have said these things over and over again. So I stand on the shoulders of giants saying these things. Um, So I recommend reading books. I have a slew of books that I recommend. um, And you can find that on my Instagram page, Moxie Mouth um, and LinkedIn, I recommend as well. Um, And so I recommend that. I recommend the following lots of uh, Black thought leaders and people of color, any BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, people of color um, leaders. I recommend just listening, listening, listening and uh, breaking down your defenses about it. So um, a lot of what I'm talking about right now with people is words that trigger them. And, um, white people tend to be triggered by words like white supremacy and white fragility. And, uh, the work I feel that I can do in that space is, um, talk with like my clients and other people about how our feelings about those aren't even on the spectrum of what matters right now. Like our lives are not threatened by those words Our our lot like the lives of black people and people of color are threatened by, um, are, threatened, are actually threatened every day by a lot of things because of systemic oppression. And so our trigger, being triggered with these words, is something we have to work on together and not bring out and compound the trauma of people of color. I'm careful to tell people to seek friends of color to understand these issues because I feel it's really important for white people to be careful not to compound trauma that's racial trauma that's already happening I'm not saying don't ever talk to your black friends or BIPOC friends don't ever ask questions but there is a sensitivity that we need to work on and understand first before coming out and just asking things so I would urge anyone who's white and isn't doesn't have you know a a rainbow circle around them to to really um investigate why. Like, where are you living? What neighborhoods are you living in? What schools are you choosing? Are, is, are you choosing good schools? Because that usually just means really white schools, to be honest. Are you, um, where are you working? Are you advocating at your work if there's not enough diversity? There's a lot of self-reflection to happen if you don't have people in your circle. And it doesn't need to be shameful. It is sad that we live in this world, but it is, it is not the time for white shame. It is the time to be like, damn, this is a problem. And I have got to figure it out. And I'm part of it and dismantling all this um, white supremacist culture that I benefit from in me is going to be the very first step to everything else.
0: Thank you all for tuning into this episode of startup happy hour. I hope you enjoyed this roundup of diversity and startups. I hope you learned something new, make sure to revisit the episodes again, just to run through all the five episodes I included here. They're episode two with Brian Vergara episode 16 with Cynthia Delaria episode 6 with Lisa Hahn, episode 17 with Nash Ahmed, and episode 10 with Meggie Abenshine. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I hope you all have a very happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe out there. And I'll be back next week with a new guest. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at StartupHappyHourPodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at StartupHappyHourPodcast.com or on Instagram at Startup Happy Hour.